All right, Greg, I've got a movie pitch for you. Hit me. Mad Max, but boats. I have some notes. Hello and welcome to the I Have Some Notes podcast, where we take sort of okay movies and make them hopefully a little less sort of okay. We are a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, powered by ATB Financial. ATB Financial, uh, catchphrase. (laughs) (laughs) I am your host, Scott. I am your temp host, Scott, your replacement Colin McIntyre. I'm Greg Beaver. Uh, We are joined today by the delightful, the irreverent, the sassy... Jeff Sampson out. Hello. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. And unfortunately, we have a slightly less delightful movie to talk about. Yeah. Uh, we're talking about Waterworld today, folks. It's Waterworld Day. It finally came. We, it was going to happen eventually, because Waterworld is a notoriously eh movie. In a world where the polar ice caps have all melted. And it was that guy that did <laughs> yeah, that it was, part it was of the, the movie, movie right? Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. It's uh, it's it's something. So uh, let's start out with a little bit of education on Waterworld. Open your books to page one. Here we go. <laughs> uh, or your IMDb page, whatever works. Uh, Waterworld stars Kevin Costner, Dennis Hopper, uh, is it Gene Triplehorn, Tina Majorino, Michael Jeter, uh, and uh, features Jack Black in one of his first movie roles as a pilot for the evil smokers. Yeah, I did not catch that. Someone else, like, he's very much a bit part. No, Colin, no. who's doing our some of our temp work for us, that he was the one who pointed that out to us. Uh, it uh, did earn over two hundred sixty million dollars eventually, uh, against a budget of one hundred seventy-two million dollars at the time of its release. Now we're living in Disney making Marvel movie time. Yeah, two hundred fifty million dollar movies. Yeah, and so. Like 172 million does not seem like a lot, but back in the day uh, when this movie was made, it was the most expensive movie ever made, and it was a movie that just kept ballooning in cost. Uh, it only made 88 million dollars domestically, so it is generally considered a bit of a flop. That's a bit, <laughs> a bit of a flop. Just a Wasn't it also like the biggest flop ever at that time? It yeah. certainly like, was on. one of them. It was directed by Kevin Reynolds. Sort of. Uh, he had worked with Costner and Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, and Fandango. They were both good friends, actually, but they had a falling out over this movie. And uh, Reynolds eventually left production or was fired. There's conflicting stories on that. Costner took over and finished directing the film. Uh, the assistant director and special effects director also quit the film. Like, this was apparently just a nightmare shoot. Wow. Um, <laughs> Costner insisted that they not film the movie in a tank on, like, the lot. He insisted they actually film it out at sea. And that was that took a huge amount of the budget right there. They had to build sets uh, in a, a sea enclosure off the coast of Hawaii. It required 30 boats to move the cast and crew a quarter mile between the harbor and the sets because they couldn't be anywhere within the line of sight of land. Uh, They had to delay filming from time to time because boats were going by, uh, and they didn't put any bathrooms on the sets, so they had to shuttle people back to shore, delaying filming by hours at a time so people could poop. (laughs) Starting to get how that budget sort of ballooned right there. And then the sets were damaged by a hurricane. 
in fact, they had to cut an entire subplot because uh, they had this whole slaver faction that ended up getting cut out of the movie oh, okay. because the set was destroyed in the hurricane. Oh, that starts to fill in some gaps then. <laughs> so uh, this was, Waterworld is just a notorious boondoggle of filmmaking. And somehow the film got finished and released to just mild reaction from pretty much everybody. Yeah. It's generally considered not that great. And uh, we'll, we will discuss why. Well, I have a question for you guys. Do you think all that money is there in your eyes? <laughs> do you see the money? Not really. Uh, well, I do when you talk about like some of this stuff, like the sets. Yes, I see you're building these sets that have to float on water. Like that's not easy to do and have all of these people, like the floating village, like on a soundstage, probably much easier to do and sort of fake that it's floating out in the middle of an yeah, ocean yeah. than to actually build it on an ocean and, and have to basically keep all these people on it and alive yeah. while you're shooting. Like I, So in that way, I see it. In terms of like the awe of movie making, do I see it? No. No, it, like part of the problem for me is like everything is so brown. <laughs> yeah, I actually forgot how ugly this movie it is. It really is. It's like, not, like, it, nothing stands out visually. Yeah. It's all really muddy and gross. Yeah, the color palette is literally blue and brown. Yeah. And that's that's it. And you know, we were me and my wife are talking about, like, you know, even though they're all at sea and they're using all, the, all sorts of, like, recycled uh, uh, things that are left over from, you know, presumably a world that's underwater, you know, most things would probably be white because they would be sun bleached. Well, and covered in salt. And Yeah, yeah that's right. That's as right. well, as I, opposed I, to rusted. I don't think the people making the movie understood a lot of the science of things here, guys. Uh, <laughs> no, there's, there's some real problems there. there are You're some saying real problems that if all the polar the ice caps melted, the entire world wouldn't be underwater by uh, well, several kilometers? I can forgive that just for, like, an interesting movie premise. Sure. Um, but, I mean, yes, like, if things being sun-bleached and things being covered in salt, like, Dennis Hopper at, in some scenes looks quite sunburnt. Which I think would make sense when you're out on the open yep. water all the time, yep. but no one else necessarily does. And it's like, yeah, things like that that I don't think they kind of put into the again that money. Where's that money? You're right. I think it's missing in those kinds of things. Yeah, there's a lot about this movie that clearly they should have spent more money on, or they should have not been spending money on Kevin Costner's <laughs> mansion <Yeah>. in Hawaii. <laughs> well, uh, I think. Like, one of the problems I had with it, which, you know, would be one of my first notes is, you know, to get around the idea that things wouldn't be so sun-bleached or covered in salt is the timeline, right? Because they act as if this has just been a few years. And that post-apocalyptic genre, like Mad Max, people alive remember, you know, what happened before. Or you're just a generation removed. So you wouldn't necessarily have everything be completely different. Um, but this is supposed to be hundreds of years later. So yes, everything should be very sun bleached or salt covered and yeah. lots of other little things. And I just think there's things like that, that where is this movie taking place? Cause I think that's one of the first problems they have setting up this as earth. I have a tough time believing that humanity, humanity could possibly survive, you know, a hundred years of no dry land. And but. mostly salt water. Yeah. Well, because we need they... fresh water to live. Well, but you can. Here's the thing. <laughs> but they had some sort of like Kevin Costner had some sort of like pee recycling thing. Yeah. Are they all drinking just their own pee? This is in the first like scene. He pees into a thing and puts it through this filter. And that was my first problem with the movie was. <laughs> 
There are other ways to <laughs> if you like, have a purifier, just purify the desalinate the water. You can boil it. You can like put like something over top and just catch condensate. Like there, there's so many other ways to get water, like fresh water I'll out of you, salt water. I'll do you one further. <laughs> Apparently, because um, I I looked into some of the some of the criticisms about this movie. And if you actually melted all the polar ice caps and the water table rose that much that it flooded the land, it would dilute the salt water in the ocean so much that it would be drinkable. Well, there's <laughs> because that it would it would basically be mostly fresh water. There's a lot of other like fresh water lakes and things that yeah. would dilute certain yeah. things, and the ice caps themselves. You're and right. The, and so the salt water is heavier too, so it would sink. Right. Yeah. From I don't even know if that's opening scene, but where they do the opening like graphics and the Universal logo turns into Earth and they melt it. So basically, we're we're right there with the first note. Yeah. Basically, like, hey guys, uh, opened your script. <laughs> Page one, line one. Um, doesn't make any sense. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Apparently they did, um, in an earlier version of the script, throw around the idea of it being some sort of uh, gravitational or geological issue. And there was going to be like a second moon that had caused oh, yeah. like that had caused like tidal problems. And then they ultimately just ditched that for the green ASOP of the polar ice caps melted because evil people like the smokers <laughs> see what they're doing, how evil they are. Well, I mean, I like the idea of even... <laughs> being a different world but they start and they say it's earth right. um so there's yeah probably your first problem but yeah i mean the other thing is sort of what you're talking about too is well if people i don't understand how they forgot everything <laughs> like the the worldview of this thing is like so let's just say 200 years from now and they seem to have no recollection of no one in this movie of what was here before and yet They've somehow created things and they've got some science and stuff, but it's like, I don't understand how you just forgot everything. Well, they don't. They didn't really forget everything because... Um, they don't know how to boil water. Well, I guess. To drink it. What are they going to burn to boil it? Well, they set a lot of things on fire in this movie. <laughs> well, yeah, I guess so, the smokers do. They got a lot of stuff to burn and a lot of things that start fires. Yeah. I think somebody in this world would put one and one together. But like the um, uh, Tig from Sons of Anarchy, the the drifter guy, like he has he has paper and he knows what paper is called, right? Yeah. So he clearly he, he, they have some semblance of an idea of what was before, right? I guess, but they seem to have forgotten like basic stuff and like understanding stuff and the basic science. And I don't understand how that gap and that's never really explained because to me, I think a really interesting movie is. Um, Kevin Costner with his gills, because he can go down and see the old world. Mm -hmm. To me, a really interesting movie is that he's among the few that know about this. And the other there's this other group of people that, you know, it's blasphemy to say that. It's always been water, right? And maybe there's a story there that he has to lead this group of people to oh, dry land. Well, right. More than that, it's weird even in the existing movie that uh, a seafaring people wouldn't see the inherent value in having someone who can breathe underwater and would instead be like, ah, <laughs> oh, burn the witch. Kill yeah. him. Yeah. Kill like, him. Why wouldn't you instantly recruit that guy into your community well, because well, he'd be such a he'd valuable He'd be so resource. valuable, yeah. And well, the old well, scientist my... dude sort of knows because he says, like, are they working gills? How far down can yeah. you go? Like, yeah. So they must have... Obviously killed a lot of other mutants. Probably, yeah. Me and my wife had the same conversation, and I was I I made an argument for the movie, and perhaps a little generously <laughs> that that you know perhaps the population of this world be quite jealous of a man who could who could live in water when they could not, right? And maybe I like that, you know. 
That's actually like a great, that's a great note for like the <laughs> script writers. Like, yeah, I don't understand. None of it's ever really explained like why they would hate him and want to kill him. And like, are there other mutants? What other mutations yeah, have a, we seen? That's a pretty big hole that they, they introduce because they, they talk uh, a bit about there being other mutants, right? Because they know they recognize that he's mutated. Yeah. yeah. So they, they it would have been interesting to see like uh, if there was another race of you know uh, of the that's like a full race upon. of mutants, I guess, or amphibious humans, or or whatever you, the case may be. Yeah, like is he from a place like another one of these floating villages or whatever where they are all mutants? Yeah, and have they gone down and like taken things out of the old cities and built like. Like, like, there's so much stuff to explore here, which I think it could have been really kind of interesting yeah, you know, in that sort of like, okay, humankind is underwater. Like, where do we go with this? And, the, and it's, you know, hundreds of years later, which is probably not enough for a mutation like that in evolution. But still, like, let's just skip that and say this is where we are. There's so much stuff to explore there where you could have had a really interesting world. Yeah, the, it is a really interesting premise uh, that yielded a very boring movie, which is confusing. <laughs> it was quite boring. <laughs> it was it very was, it boring. Dragged. And then it's funny it, you talk about was, everything's out in the ocean because some of those scenes, I'm like, that's soundstage, like the night boat shots. But if they built kind of the enclosure, maybe that's why it kind of looks like it's very squared off. Right when you watch movies and they've shot water stuff in those sound stages, and you've got that real mm-hmm. square—that's all you can kind of see. Uh, so it felt like that. But if they, they don't want to see of, the parts of the set that are not, that are that are yeah, not you set. Get, you've only got like fifty feet, guys, and it has to be yeah. in that square. And we got it, and it looks kind of cheesy. But if they built sets like that, I guess that's where you where you end up. But yeah, I think yeah, it's boring, and they 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 don't really explore or give like the characters something to like be about. Yeah. Let's let's try and be a little bit positive about this movie for a second and talk about what we would actually keep. Well, first of all, I'd keep Dennis Hopper. Yeah. No question. Yeah. He is the one person in this movie who's clearly having a really good time. <laughs> yeah, this uh, one is like, how much am I getting paid? This is going to be fun. Like, he is, his character Deacon is great as the, the Deacon? Uh, or just Deacon? I don't, I don't know. It's kind of, I think he's referred to as both a couple times. Yeah. But either way, he's... Uh, he's just a fun, hammy villain. He's a good bad guy. Uh, he's uh, credible as threatening, but also kind of a little wacky. Yeah. Um, and kind of seems like he gets that all these people are trusting him to find dry land or lead them. And he's kind of like, I don't know, I'm going to go out there and wing it. Yeah. yeah. Like I, that's a, you're right. I think there's a real interesting, probably the most interesting character. I would agree that he is the most interesting character him. And even though the smokers themselves are a little underdeveloped, they're much more interesting characters than basically any other character we encounter <laughs> in the show. <laughs> Like I, I enjoyed yeah. every time the smokers were on screen. Yeah. I like, I get that they're the bad guys and they're supposed to be like hateable, but I love them. I can't help it. Yeah. <laughs> Cause, and it's partly because of the charisma of, of Dennis Hopper in that movie. Like he's so, he's just chewing the scenery and in that kind of movie, it works a hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of an over the top premise and it deserves an over the top villain. Exactly. Yeah, I definitely think that's good. Yeah, I definitely keep him and and have that sort of villain. Um, yeah, I, I like what Kevin Costner's character is kind of about, right? So you've got this kind of loner who's out there. Maybe he's a loner because of the mutation in the gills. 
maybe he just doesn't want to be a part of it. I think certainly kind of implied. Yeah, yeah. and like, um, I think there's lots to explore with that, which could have made it a lot more interesting and him more interesting. But I think there's a lot of cool stuff about that character where, where I think there's... It could have been good. And so I like that idea of this kind of like guy who's who, who knows that he's different and understands how he's different. And he has can go down and see something that no one else can and understand something essentially that no one else on this world, yeah. I guess, does. Again, I, I don't understand quite that or would like to see that explored. So I do like where they kind of started with that and what that character was and could have been. Going back to the smokers for a quick sec, the other thing I liked about the smokers was the old guy in the the in the tanker. <laughs> he was he was his entire job was to, to measure, measure the, the level of oil that they had left, uh, and he actually has the only funny line in the entire movie uh, when uh, when the oil tanker explodes and <laughs> or what happens like a torch gets Kevin, oh, Kevin Costner throws like flare. a flare down there. And as the flare's dropping, he sees it coming down towards the oil, and he's like, oh, thank God. <laughs> and yeah. then it explodes. Just, his life was so miserable. <laughs> yeah. Or that it's probably I, just gone on so long that he's just like, oh, finally, we're just going to end all of this. And I like his kind of character design, like it, like the big, goofy, goggly glasses. And right, because it's dark, yeah, and he's, he's got to be able to see. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's pretty And that, yeah, he has one job. How much do we have on it? Although, my question is, is it gas or oil? It's not really made clear because the smokers just refer to it as like go juice. juice. And even he calls it just the black stuff. Yeah. So it's pretty unclear if they really even know what it is. Which is to me probably the maybe one of the biggest bottles is like who's refining all this oil to gas power everything. Uh, yeah, the movie seems to think oil and gas are this. There's the a lack, a lack of science here again. <laughs> yeah, I we'll think. get we'll get a little bit into into that later on because <laughs> there are some missing scenes that add a little bit to the smokers apparently. Right. It's okay. an entirely different movie that fills it all in. But yeah, I mean, I don't I don't know what I would, I mean. Again, the premise I think is there. I just think it's lacking in a lot of areas. Yeah. Same with some of the characters. I think there's some interesting potential there and i think it's just it's never really explored they're basically just like here's what would be cool it's mad max on water and kevin costner's got gills okay i don't understand what the connection to mad max is jeff that's it's well it's on the ocean man yeah so different but i mean they're sort of trying to imitate that with the smokers and stuff right oh absolutely it's absolutely oh, no, my was, my yeah, elevator pitch is 100 percent. but i but it. i don't get it because again if we're talking about post-apocalypse and this is 200 years later that's where it, again it falls down right yeah, like it's yeah. not really post-apocalypse they have clearly been okay post-apocalypse yeah. you know they've made it we're now yeah. we're now, now like we're in the post post-apocalypse yeah now we're in like how do we rebuild now we just need to find the tip of Mount Everest and <laughs> yeah. rebuild civilization with six people. Yeah. That that totally works. I liked Gregor, the uh, the the the, the balloon making guy. The scientist. He was fun. Yeah, yeah. He's a he's a. I like that actor. He's uh, he was in the Green Mile. He's he's got a certain Good charm to him actor. that I really like. And even even though his character doesn't have a, a ton to do, he does have important uh, plot. Uh, you know, important things to do in the plot, but uh, just overall, I just think the actor is really charming. Cuts? Yeah. Well, Kevin Costner. <laughs> really? <laughs> uh, I don't, I don't mind the character of the Mariner, mm. um, but um, uh, Costner is not at his fighting best in this movie. He comes, and, and it might have been just the decision of how he wanted to play the character, but the character comes across as really flat and deadpan. 
um, which I can understand wanting to be subdued because you're playing kind of like a loner drifter, but he's so subdued that it's just flat. There's just nothing there. And even as the character develops through the film and starts to reveal that he does have a bit of a heart of gold and then becomes a hero toward the end, Costner's still just not emoting. Like there's nothing there. (laughs) And I realize that you can't really have Waterworld without Kevin Costner because it was his movie. But I, I would recast him. I would, I would get someone who can play that better. Well, I would, yeah. I mean, my, my problem with, I had that too, to cut Kevin Costner. And it wasn't necessarily, it was more like the character that Kevin Costner is playing because he's, he's such an asshole that I, I just, like the movie, the movie's score sort of intimates that he's a real hero, right? You got this, like the, the, tr- the soundtrack is really plucky. That kind of like trumpety, like. Yeah, yeah. And, and so you're, you're supposed to, it's implying that you're supposed to believe that he's some kind of, I guess like maybe he's, they think he's an anti-hero or something like that. But the stuff that he does, like throwing a child overboard who can't swim, uh, twice trying to sell a woman off as a sex slave, like it's, he's, he's too much of a piece of shit for me to cheer for him in any way and and that's like i just couldn't stand the character like if you, you can't like you, if you want you can he can be an anti-hero or, or like you can either have him be a complete asshole throughout the entire film uh or he can be uh, a like a full-on hero now that hero can be complicated but you, they can't be both of those things no you know? and i mean there's there's even a great way early in the movie to show his heroic side that was kind of missed. And that's during the smoker attack on the Atoll um, because he kind of grudgingly ends up saving Helen and Enola. Yeah. And it would have been like, and there's one or two flashes where he like, he does like the enforcer a solid when he kills the smoker who was going after him. But if he had genuinely helped them escape um, that terrible situation with the pirates attacking, it would have shown that, okay, maybe he's not such a bad guy, despite the fact that he keeps pushing people away. Yeah. And then that would have given you more to build on than, no, he's just actually a terrible person <laughs> in addition to being alone. <laughs> and they're not just bringing him out of his shell. They're actual, they actually have to work at making him not a terrible human being. Which itself or is a storyline, right? human, whatever. It's kind of that, um, you know, taming the beast storyline, right? That yeah. you kind of got to show them humanity or whatever. Which I think either way, I think you have a really interesting character, like you are saying, Greg. Either he is kind of an anti-hero, and maybe you got to bring that humanity back. Yeah. Or he's just like a straight up hero kind of guy. And, yeah. Well, and I mean, that's what they're trying to do. To they're draw... trying to, he's, they, they're trying to do the anti-hero thing, but he's, he, he goes so far beyond the pale for me that it's just, it's he just disgusting. I'm going yeah. to discuss two movies that do both of those ideas better. The first one is the road warrior because Mad Max is an anti-hero who in spite of his better instincts gets embroiled in helping some people because at heart, he's still a good person. The other example is Mad Max Fury Road, (laughs) where Mad Max has become, has dehumanized to the point where he is a total selfish jerk and rediscovers his humanity as people show him humanity in return. Yeah. So two examples 
of post-apocalyptic fiction doing Absolutely, it better. Right? And both of them are Mad Max. Which I think you start this movie, he gets robbed, and then they get him and the guy that robbed him are getting attacked. And I think you set up the 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 new Mad Max kind of thing, right? He's going to leave that guy to get killed because he's escaping. And then, okay, now we've got to, like, as he meets this woman and child and he saves people at the village and everything, like, he's going to find that humanity again. And I think that's where you wanted to go. But, Greg, you mentioned, like, how they're setting him up and the music. And I know my wife wanted me to mention uh, that the music is terrible. <laughs> it is right? Sally quite Paulson, awful. Like, her quote. Because it's very, you said, plucky. It's very adventure movie. And yet they're trying to do this really anti. In the first like, sort of ten minutes, he just leaves a guy to get killed. Yeah. Like this is not like. Da, but, the, da, da, but the music is music. all swashbuckling. Yeah, it's yeah. very swashbuckling, and it's like, no. But I, I, I don't know if this is going to come up later. But I know that Kevin Costner had the music changed. Yes, because it I was, was just going to bring that up. It was supposed to be darker and moodier, but Kevin Costner would have wanted fit. it to well, be more heroic. Well, yeah, because it, like it's a it's a post apocalyptic movie, and yeah. it should. Be. And the way he like it's like, dude, in the first like ten minutes, you you leave a guy to get murdered. I don't think it should be a light tone of music. And no, he changed it, which I think. Right from the get-go, from those first few minutes, it just ruins it. You're like, yeah. I don't understand who he is, and what and what does he what does he murder that guy for in the opening scene? Limes. He the stole guy. some limes, <laughs> guys. Jesus. I just want to take a quick moment to talk about how bad scurvy is. <laughs> and you know, I, okay, I didn't think about that because they would. Yeah, you're right. They would be fairly valuable, I guess, in a, in in a, a world aquatic of water. world. <laughs> scurvy is real. The struggle is real. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought that was exactly why they chose a lime tree yeah, or a lime plant to guess, start with. But nobody else had limes that I saw. I mean, I, I guess they all, maybe different villages have different things because he goes and picks up a tomato plant at the next sure, place, right? Yeah. So, but yeah, it's limes. But that guy crossed him. Come on. You yeah. had it coming. But yeah, okay, like you left a guy to get murdered, so you're an accessory to murder. <laughs> Can't have like kind of a jumpy, cool, like... Plucky, you know, Indiana stay. Jones, Goonies kind of theme. No, it's <laughs> well, you're leaving a, a man darker. to be murdered by pirates. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> can't be that fun, Kevin. Sorry. <laughs> and then that guy gets fired. They're yeah. like, we're bring someone in who's gonna make this movie fun. <laughs> it's gonna make my murders look delightful. <laughs> it's gonna be a romp. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's a romp at sea. <laughs> so cut uh, the music for sure. Uh, I was thinking long and hard about what I might cut from the plot. And I keep coming back to, weirdly, the quest for dry land. I was thinking that too. Like, I get, I get why that's such a valuable MacGuffin. Okay, I was uh, going to say, I get why it's a MacGuffin, but I don't get why anyone in the movie cares. Well, I, I do get why people in the movie care. But at the same time, I feel like, I feel like there could have been a better plot in there somewhere absolutely that didn't involve them looking for dry land and having a precocious child lead them like it's but i haven't been able to figure out what exactly is the problem <laughs> well i well, say, you got like about by my watch about five minutes to figure that out <laughs> well jeff seems to have <laughs> well one. no i don't know and that's my problem is that they there's nobody in the movie that seems to know why they want to go to dry land and that's why i was saying earlier it could be interesting to have this world where kevin costner and a few others maybe the woman and her child and, and some people kind of have this idea of this utopia or something that's out there but most people don't believe in it and you know are going to kill you for that or are going to fight you for that 
um, and that somehow Kevin Costner has to leave them there you know for what? some reason that, that oh, is not in this script. No, I've got it. I've got the better idea now. Dry Land does have a utopia on it. There's, there you go. They're talking about this like this last city where people live in on dry Ooh, land that and no one can find it. And then Enola turns out to be like from, from that city. city. And now there's an even more dire threat if the smokers find the city. Like, they're an army of angry pirates. They're going to storm the city. They're going to take it yeah. over. Like, there's an existential threat to some people you've never even met before. Yeah, see, I think they like, just needed a oh, reason. Rather than a Swiss Family Robinson treehouse, yeah. have a whole city there with a people to welcome them and be like, hey, you found us. Yeah, Good or even you. if there isn't people, there are people there, like, there was a reason to get there. It had resources. It, yeah. You know, something like that, right? It has science or something. Like, the, the old scientists could be like, I yeah. want to get there because... I've got books and they must have come from somewhere. Like something like that that says, why do we want to get there? Because it's never really explained. Other than just we don't want to be on the boat we're, anymore. We're seasick. Yeah. Come on. We want to go where it's sort of. We want to see the horses move. that you've been drawing in your pictures. Well, it sounds, it sounds like, guys, that we're already getting into deep into changes. So <laughs> we think we should, we should move on to, uh, to our, our second half and get into that. But uh, speaking of changes, what if someone wanted to is not happy with their bank and wanted to change their bank? What are some reasons that they would want to change their bank, Scott? Uh, because there's better banks, I guess. Question mark. <laughs> that was not a good segue that into the information segue. I had. Um, but you might consider ATB Financial, uh, and you might consider ATB Financial because uh, they do a lot for the community, and one of the things they do is through ATB Cares, which is. Uh, a way for you to give to your favorite charities and ATB will not only cover the costs of that, they will actually add an additional 15% to your donation. So next time you want to go to donate to uh, your favorite charity locally, uh, hit up atbcares.com, uh, do it through them, give a little extra that way through ATB. Uh, in 2017, over $4 million was donated to charity through ATB Cares. Obviously, they want to donate more this year, so... Uh, be sure to uh, check that out next time you're there. Thanks to ATB Financial, big sponsor of the Alberta Podcast Network, of which I have some notes, is now a member. We'll be right back. You've been there, haven't you? Dryland? You know where it is. Yeah, I know where it is. Oh. And, uh, and we're going? You and I are. Kid, we've got to pitch over the side. What? Welcome back to I Have Some Notes. Uh, we are talking about Waterworld, which presumably you've listened to the first half of the show and you know that. <laughs> um, and yeah, there's uh, not really much of a reason in a podcast to reset the guests no, <laughs> or the true. audience rather. Uh, but we're back and, uh, we, uh, we took a bit, bit of a break to collect our thoughts. And, uh, while we were collecting our thoughts, uh, before we get into what we'd like to change about the movie, um, it is worth noting that the movie was already changed because they did release an extended edition of Waterworld, which adds almost an hour to the movie. Yay! <laughs> and it actually adds quite a bit. And from uh, all accounts, uh, it actually does improve the movie somewhat because it takes care of some 
gaping plot holes. So uh, I, I actually did a little bit of research and pulled up a list of some of the major changes that are in the extended edition. Uh, so that includes um, after the Mariner's capture at the Atoll, uh, the inhabitants examine his belongings before they sentence him to figure out if maybe he is a smoker spy. And they find a thigh master, which they mistake for a torture device, <laughs> a yo-yo, which they uh, assume is an assassin's uh, garrote, and a clarinet, which they assume is a spy's listening device. And that's what leads them to believe that he is, in fact, a smoker spy and thus sentence him to death. Right. So they don't just sentence him to death for for just being a mutant in the extended edition. Okay. Um, the, mut- the mutation is merely the reason to initially suspect him. Uh, there's a scene which explains where the Mariner gets the jet ski he uses to get to Deacon's ship to save the girl. Uh, apparently the survivors of the massacre get ambushed by a pair of Deacon's men on jet skis. Mariner kills both the men, takes their guns and one of the jet skis. And that's why he has an arsenal to go and rescue yeah, her. Yeah, this is really filling in some gas. Um, there's a scene that shows how Gregor managed to find Helen and the Mariner after their boat burns down which was cut. Uh, there's about 10 minutes worth Does of Does that really scenes. need to be a thing? Because he just says, I, sw- I followed the smoke. That's all you really need. Uh, yeah, but there's uh, apparently there's a more extended scene about mm. that. There's about 10 minutes worth of scenes that further detail life aboard uh, the smoker headquarters ship, including how they get their cigarettes and their bullets and their other equipment. So a little more world building about what they're about, which I think would have been very interesting. Um, there's a scene that further reveals that the two skeletons they find at the end of the movie are indeed Enola's parents, which is kind of surmisable based on the existing cut, but it's made more explicit. Um, there's a scene. I actually think that makes the movie more confusing. Fair to enough. Me. There's a scene that shows the Mariner building the boat he leaves with at the end of the movie from the island because he just suddenly has a boat. Ah, at the oh, yeah. I took that to be implied. Um, Helen, I didn't even think about it. <laughs> I was just like, oh, he's got his boat. I, I, I watched this with my wife, and she was like, well, why doesn't he just dock it, right? He wants to be on the water because mm-hmm. he doesn't like the way land feels. Mm-hmm. Just tie a rope, and he can live 20 feet out from the island with them. Why does he have to leave? Well, you could presume that he maybe visits from time to time either way. I would assume so, but it, the, the movie doesn't sort of like – the movie certainly suggests that like he's going away forever. Yeah. The, uh, the Mariner gets a name at the end of the movie in the extended cut. Helen names him Ulysses. Mm-hmm. All right. A little, a little like seafarer kind of name there. Uh, and uh, at the very, very end, there's also an extended scene where while Helen and Enola are watching the Mariner depart, uh, they find a plaque that does indeed confirm they are standing atop Mount Everest. So that kind of confirms what everybody assumed, that they were on top of Mount Everest. Right. Oh, I never even thought about it. There you go. I, so I guess I didn't care at that point. So that there's an hour's roughly worth of material that's, that was cut. all that shit was an hour. Well, yeah. Again, there's like ten minutes more on the on the Deacon's ship, and Good. there's uh, there's at least like one cut action scene. Like, I guess I would have to see it. But apparently, way, a good the, action scene, from what I understand. The way you, the way you describe it doesn't sound like it fills in. A ton of gaps. Well, for and me. to be fair, this is this is just like a synopsis of the <laughs> stuff. Not, it no, I get it. I get well, it. you're that's just gonna why, have to. That's watch. why I qualified my statement. But it just like Craig, you just have to dial up that three hour movie and watch it. <laughs> so, uh, so, so those are some changes that were yeah. made when they actually added some oh. stuff back in. Sure. I was so, hoping it would actually fill in more gaps, but I, I don't think that does <laughs> at all. See, fair enough. Jeff so agrees with me. Clearly, there are other changes that need made, and I think that's what we're gonna segue into now. So, uh, what are what are some of the things you guys would like to see different go ahead jeff i just think that more more why you know more backstory on what this world is um you know how many people 
sort of still are alive is the the people we see it are there thousands or tens of thousands more just an idea of what kind of world we're dealing with and then the motivations that would come from that right why kevin costner would be out on his own what kind of other mutants there are is he from people who also can go underwater are more people able to have seen that it hasn't always been a water world like those sorts of questions and then the reasons that people would want to go to dry land, like what's supposed to be there, even yeah. if it's not when they get there, it's not that kind of like in the newest Mad Max, they're kind of going somewhere they get there. It's not what it was supposed to be, but you still had a reason to go. Just we want some dry land is not much of a reason. So I just more motivations that fill in what this world is about and why people are doing the things that they do. <laughs> Basically a completely different script. <laughs> <laughs> rewrite page one rewrite. I, yeah, there's. Especially with Kevin Costner's character, I find that like he's he's the one character whose motivations bother me the most, and they wildly swing. Yeah, well, I don't know if they I don't know if they swing so much as they're just the, either his motivations are not interesting or or the the way that they set up the character, um, just none of the things that they set up are really pay off in any big way. Like the fact that the fact that like the the villagers of the atoll are are scared of mutants like that never pays off or really has any again like other why, than, other than right? the fact yeah. that like it just gives them a reason i guess to to jail him uh that's essentially it right yeah. uh but it never like it, it there, there seem there there's sort of like this undercurrent where it's suggesting that like you know the 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 people of this world are are you know uh, scared of mutants and stuff like that, and and yeah, you just want to know, like, okay, is there more of these people? You know, and it might have been interesting to have, um, the the smokers be sort of like the people that are hunting, um, the uh mutants, mutants. down or something like that, just to sort of like add add to their villainy. Yeah, there's never really an explanation of why they are bad. Or they could why... be using the, them as slaves. Well, they're murderous to get pirates. All their... they could... That's never really explained, though. And then if they are, then why doesn't this village have any sort of weapon? Like, they've never gone to trade for some weapons when they know that they could be attacked like this. Well, uh, in defense of the movie, uh, <laughs> uh, they, it is certainly intimated that they've never faced, like, a full-scale smoker attack before. Like, they occasionally deal with a couple like raiders, a couple. but when when the smokers show up for Enola, they bring all the guns, yeah. and the atoll just does not stand a chance against like an army of smokers. All right, so I, <laughs> I don't, that's I don't, okay. that's yeah. a, that's implied. Yes. Like, like there's even well, some I mean, guys are, who are like are like living. our walls will protect us, yeah. right? And yeah. somebody gives him an askance view, and then the smokers like tear through their walls like paper yeah. with their anti aircraft gun. Which is again, it goes back to my question about the world that it is like. I I don't understand how this is so surprising then if this kind of does exist or maybe it doesn't exist and they've never seen something like this, which in that case raises the question of how no one has ever found dry land if there's all kinds of people everywhere that they've never encountered. That must mean there's a lot of people left in a lot of places. Yeah. And actually, even to go back a point, you could say one of the reasons why they haven't had to face with the smokers before is because the smokers might, you could expand that and say the smokers are new in the area. They came sure. there if they if yeah. they recently showed up because they're following the trail of Enola and her map. 
you could say that they've literally never seen jet skis and biplanes before. I, like, this I like is, that idea. This is insane to them. Sure. And, and that's why they're just completely unprepared to deal with the, the threat the smokers pose. Yeah, that, that's interesting to say that there's a little more to the whole smoker storyline then, that they're trying to find dryland for whatever reasons you could fill that in that 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 to me is interesting too i would i like my one of my big changes was sort of like the the order of of the the big events of this film like i would instead of having the the atoll be essentially the uh opening of the film where it gets destroyed and that's how we meet the smokers and discover what villains they are i would i would rather i would start the movie off with um enola and helen adrift at sea and they are being chased down by the smokers and this sort of dovetails into your guys idea where they're being you know they're being chased and hunted for her map and kevin costner sort of like being the anti-hero sort of reluctantly saves them he doesn't want to because he's scared of humans because he's a mutant and he you know he doesn't he doesn't really want to interact them with them if he doesn't have to and then that becomes sort of like like the, the you know the the first act sort of becomes like a bit of a cat and mouse game you know, first, I guess, and a little bit of the second act of uh, being chased by the uh, the smokers until they get to the atoll, which Kevin Costner promises to take them to because it's the safest place where they can go, and that's where Helen and Enola know where Gregor is. Yeah, and Gregor is going to interpret the map, right? So then they get I like to, this they, movie. They get yeah. to the village, right? And and they, they presume they're safe there. Yeah, and that's when the smokers show up with the big guns, and it becomes a little more impactful when the, even the village is not safe. Absolutely, and like so, there when you get to the village. You can have all sorts of like interactions with Kevin Costner and the villagers, and you can sort of work out, you know, uh, develop, you know, his um, character as a mutant and how he relates to and, and the world, right? You can do some sort of explanations of the world and what yeah. we're dealing with yeah. and why certain things are certain ways and what people know. More than that, because we've had time with Kevin Costner, the Mariner, and with Helen and Enola on the sea in the first act, we get to know him a little better. So when he's mistreated by the villagers, we're more on his side. Yeah. And there's a reason that they would care, yeah. right? Yeah. And maybe he hasn't completely found that humanity again, but in that time in the village, right, yeah. you see that and maybe he has a bit of time to bond with them and, now. And it also maybe gives them a little more perspective on why he's so prickly with them during the first act because yeah. now they see how he gets mistreated when by he the gets people. Like, yeah. Yeah. So then they, they can, to jail. Yeah. Then the, you know, then the smokers attack. And Kevin Costner does something heroic and, and saves as many villagers as he can. And then they change their mind about right. what he's all about. Uh, and maybe there can be something in there where he finds a way of sort of changing his mind about what they're all about as well. But it also gives you the opportunity of taking that big expensive set and blowing it up in the end of the second act where it probably should have been blown up because like that's your that's your big big set piece and it feels like it's it's happening too early in the movie right for me anyway well and it's also an escalation it goes from attacks on the boat to attacks at the Absolutely. atoll to the fight on the super yeah tanker. and then once the once the atoll is is destroyed then we're at our lowest point where we and, should be at yeah, the, in and, the second act and the smokers obviously get Enola during the attack on the atoll in this version Costner is able to save Helen and Gregor and the villagers but unfortunately the smokers got their hands on Enola and 
what are we going to do? Yeah. We've yeah. lost our home. We've lost the girl with the map to the dry land. Yeah. We, we can't go after the smokers. They have anti-aircraft guns and biplanes and jet skis and cigarettes. Yeah. Like they're immortal. Well, and like, I like this in, in the stuff that I had talked about in the sense of like that maybe there's this idea of dry land that not everybody buys into, but now, so this girl got kidnapped for a reason, right? And there's sort of like the villagers, that kind of worldview starts to change too, right? That there may be something else to, to what they were talking about. Yeah. Like there must be some value to this girl's map because the smokers are throwing everything they have, yeah. which yeah. gives everybody it, kind of a new sense of hope for humanity, really. Yeah. Right? And you kind of, you kind of gives you an opportunity to sit for the villagers to say like, we're close to gone out here. We need to, you know, we're running out of resources. You know, if we don't, if we don't find a way, we're never going to be able to feed everyone and clothe everyone. And yeah. All that kind and of then, stuff, so right? maybe when Kevin Costner and others go out to save Enola, there's a bit of that, well, we'll come back for you mm-hmm. kind of thing, right? Or we'll send Gregor back or somebody back once the coordinates have been figured out, right? Yeah. And then there's, there's, yeah. I just yeah. Think and then we go, and then we like go have our big that. scene at the Exxon Valdez or whatever. And maybe that, maybe that can, maybe the Exxon Valdez can be just like revealed as like <laughs> in the third act where it's just like, holy shit, they've got a huge, if it was, if it was still kind of running, like if they, you know, all of a sudden you realize like the smokers have like way more weaponry and it feels that much more daunting. Well, yeah, because mm-hmm. they're, they're an existential threat to a bunch of people using bamboo spears and harpoon guns yeah. when they show up with, Airplanes and yeah. jet skis and bullets that like they are they're a big deal and and saving saving the reveal of where that's all coming from to the yeah. third act is kind of cool actually yeah I, and, and I like this it, it's circle back on a few different things that the world is bigger than the the village and stuff that we see early on that maybe these villagers have never seen anything like this and that maybe Kevin Costner can kind of let, you know, let people know that he has, right? He's, he's traveled everywhere and that it sort of speaks to that idea that you're maybe not as alone as you thought. And there's, I think, just a lot more connections there. Well, yeah. and Kevin Costner becomes more, val- the we keep calling him Kevin Costner. The Mariner, <laughs> the Mariner becomes Mariner. more valuable then too, because if he's, if he's the one who even like, even in act one in this version, when he finds Helen and Enola, he might be reluctant to take them on at first. And then he finds out they're being chased by smokers and he can be spooked. Like, mm-hmm. why are there smokers out here? Right. Or the ones with like, guns. They're, they're right? from far away. Like, oh, yeah. Why That's are great. they here? And and so that, like, right away we get the idea that something bigger is going on. Yeah. And they're scared because of the, these guns and stuff, right? They've yeah. never seen and he has. And it's yeah. sort of, so in that initial chase scene there, he's already led you to believe he knows something more about the world than they do. And, yeah. and he's capable of helping them because he's, yeah. he establishes he's dealt with smokers before. So Yeah, I think it's just giving the everyone kind of these motivations to go somewhere or mm-hmm. why they're going somewhere. And then, yeah, bring out more of uh, the Mariner's humanity and kind of... Yeah. A better way instead of trying to do it through like jaunty music man right? guys that, i want to watch this movie this does sound i, I good. think i think we crushed it i think we crushed this one you guys i would watch <laughs> that version good, of yeah. Waterworld. it's like you know it's it's not mad maxi because it's much further in the future than post-apocalypse so you've got other stakes involved yeah. which i think and again you, maybe you say it's earth maybe you don't I think that's kind of interesting too. I, yeah, I kind of like the idea. You had the idea in the first half. You were sort of talking about that, where it's like maybe it doesn't have to be, maybe it doesn't have to be revealed as Earth at first. Maybe you can yeah. have that Planet of the Apes movie, where you it's like, do oh, that. it was Earth. Oh, all I like along. that. I mean, then you sort of <laughs> well, are and, just sort of aping that part of part of the reveal that it's Earth could be the reveal of the Exxon Valdez in the third act because Something like the that. Exxon Valdez is from Earth, and yeah. suddenly you're like. Oh, that's our plan. Like, <laughs> and that's why I think it'd be really interesting if if the Mariner and some other people believed 
something had happened, right? And they're seen as crazy. They're yeah. seen as the yeah. outliers and people are like, it's always been like this and you feel like you're on another planet. And yes, it's sort of that Planet of the Apes reveal, but I think you can still do it in interesting ways. I mean, that... they're, cle- they're clearly aping everything from Mad Max. So right. they, what, yeah, what's, why not, what's, why what's not one, just steal from one more? Planet of the Apes as well? Yeah, because I think there's just so many interesting things in these in these nuggets of like character and, and the plot that are there that you could have a really interesting movie or a really interesting arcs that they just kind yeah. of move the pieces around. They're like, okay, it's time for an attack. Okay. Yeah, Everyone hates water. Okay. The weird thing is it's almost like they, they sacrificed uh, plot and character for action, but it's not even a really good action movie. No, there's <laughs> no. three three scenes, right? There's, yeah, there's like, sort of the opening scene where he just swings around his boat to get away. The the fight on the atoll is kind of the centerpiece action movie, and, and it's blown in the first act. You're like, absolutely like right. Like Greg said, yeah. if you set that up later on, I think you've got something better because yeah. it's a pretty big attack scene, right? And you're penetrating the walls and all of this stuff. And then, okay, later there's another one on the boat. But you're right. I think to build up makes it more interesting and keep raising those stakes. Yeah. I think that does set it up better. Yeah. Well, we weren't the only ones to have thoughts about this movie. No, uh, we were not. There is a whole slew of people who chimed in on social media, on Twitter, on Facebook, on Instagram. Uh, Friend of the show, Jay Runham, uh, local movie buff, uh, says he's truly shocked fixes. Uh, I haven't seen this film in a long while, but from what I remember, it was the most perfect movie ever created. Jay, (laughs) you clearly watched this movie when you were eight years old. Very young. And that's why you have... A very fond memory of it. It's not that great. Uh, Nathan Martin writes, there are no fixes needed and you're crazy if you think there are. Well, Nathan, we just fixed this movie. Yeah, yeah. So, fixed it. 100%. I want to see we this movie. It. Let's make it, guys. Uh, Scott Payer writes, uh, one of the most excessively maligned post-apocalyptic action adventures ever. I would not say that it's no, excessive. No, I don't think so. I think it deserves everything it got. It's... And again, like post-apocalypse implies years after. This is centuries after. So I think it's sort of misgenrefied. And the music makes it seem like an adventure. So I, I don't know yeah. what to classify this as. Yeah. I mean, it's like, I, like I get, like, Kevin Costner, I think, was coming just out of, like, Prince of Thieves, right? And yeah, stuff and, like he that. Was, and he was the hotness at yeah, the time. Yeah, and I, th- I feel like he was, like, he was trying to sh- strike that again. Yeah, this when, and Postman both caused yeah. his stock in Hollywood yeah. to plummet. Yeah. Uh, Matthew Jameson writes, wasn't this just a watered down, pun intended, version of Mad Max? (laughs) I think we established it was. (laughs) Biggest dilemma I remember when watching it years ago, where does all the gas come from? Well, Nate, Matthew, uh, it comes from the Exxon Valdez. (laughs) That's established in the movie. That's where they're getting the gas. But it wouldn't be gas. But to be be fair, well, maybe they've changed everything to run on diesel. We don't know. (laughs) There's 10 minutes of material that was cut that might have had the answer to that. So they're peeing and filtering that. They can't boil water, but they have somehow changed either oil into gas or diesel. Like, well, I, this is the weird gaps in the world that I, just, I don't understand. I just think that the writers didn't understand the oil is... <laughs> no, no I, absolutely. That's, that definitely, we've put more thought into this <laughs> yeah. than the writers did. Uh, Andrew Craig writes, fix... His, his suggestion for a fix, make five other good movies. I go the old uh, James Cameron route. <laughs> <He> make, <laughs> like, this, 
<laughs> and this yeah. movie has no cultural relevance. I'll make four more movies and make it culturally relevant. Yeah. Or uh, did he mean just throw that budget around? Just I think he's just saying throw that budget. Yeah. Around, oh, honestly. I see. Okay. Yeah. Make Fair five enough. other good movies. <laughs> make five other okay movies <laughs> <laughs> out of out of the budget that was spent. I thought on this he, one. I, I thought he wanted to see four more. Sequels. He wants a universe. He wants the water. <laughs> he wants yeah. the water world expanded yeah, universe. Maybe we'll get like a DC crossover. In one there. in space. Yeah. Water world. Like what's going on in the International Space Station <laughs> while water world. <laughs> Caleb J. Marmon writes, uh, when they're finally on dry land, the mother rejects the forceful advances of the mariner and is forced to kill him in self-defense. She dumps the body in the ocean and tells her daughter he had to leave. <laughs> Obviously, trim up the rest of the movie so it doesn't drag on even longer. Considering the rapey nature of the mariner early on, that seems like an appropriate payoff. There's yeah. a lot of like uh, inappropriate sexualness yeah. in this movie. It's It does not stand up well in that no. sense at all. No. no. Yeah. No. That would be given the given his character in in the movie as it is. That would be uh, a very good ending for the Mariner. <laughs> good job, Caleb. And uh, Film Frown Podcast uh, writes: I think we lost repeat guests from having them review this film. Well, I guess we have to wait and see if Jeff comes back. <laughs> yeah, I didn't like it. I'll come back. <laughs> I'll do this movie again. I will do another podcast about Waterworld. <laughs> if you have a podcast talking about Waterworld. Book me. <laughs> <laughs> so you guys, uh, whenever we do an episode, you guys can get on in on the uh, the note having. Uh, just follow us on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram, and we will uh, we send messages out and let you know when uh, we are recording and uh, when we need your listener comments. So join in the conversation. And if they're good, we'll read them on the air. Yep. On the air, question in quotations. <laughs> yeah. We will record them for all time. Guest plugs. Jeff? Yeah, Jeff, what have you got going on right now? Hi, everybody. <laughs> uh, I'm starting a new Waterworld podcast. <laughs> I'm going to go minute by minute, uh, page by page on the script. I would listen to it's that. Called, it's called Pod the Water. <laughs> yeah. And then I'm going to uh, remake it. <laughs> it's going to remake great. it with the version we just pitched. <laughs> yes. Oh, my God. It sounds good. Uh, I started an online magazine all about Edmonton called Edmonton Quotient. So it's at edmontonquotient.com. It's on Facebook. It's weird to describe how you're on Facebook, like facebook.com slash Edmonton Quotient. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Twitter at Yeg Quotient. Y-E-G. And that's where I'm at. Um, I have nothing to plug at this time. Yep. So I'm just going to uh, not plug anything at this time. <laughs> There's secret things coming. There, there are things that I'm working on, but uh, nothing has officially kind of been launched yet, so I don't want to jump the gun and uh, and plug anything at this time. But uh, probably the next episode, I may have something to talk about. Very Ooh. cool. We'll look forward to hearing about that. I kind of expected you to plug something. Right? Oh, that's, sorry, where, no, no. that's where that pause uh, this came is, in. The only thing I can plug is I have some notes because that's all I'm fucking doing right now. Well, uh, in addition to plugging I have some notes, we should also mention that, again, you can follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at I have some notes uh, on all three. Mm-hmm. If you like the show, also consider uh, rating and reviewing us on iTunes. That's very helpful. Colin, personally, will thank you. I will. I'm like He will give you a personal thank you. That's nice. I, I can say that because he's not here to contradict <laughs> me. Um, just putting words in his mouth. Um, one other thing you can do to help support this podcast is support other podcasts. We are part of the Alberta Podcast Network. Recently had its launch. It was a great time. We got to meet a lot of other great podcasters. One of them was good friend of the show, Adam Rosenhart. Uh, he does The Expats. Uh, you might remember Adam from a previous episode of I Have Some Notes, where he was here to talk about Star Trek Generations. He is also my former co- 
uh, co-host, podcasting co-host. Your co-host? My co-host with the Unknown Studio. Adam's a great guy. He's got a great podcast. He talks to uh, expats who are Canadians living abroad, uh, talking about their experiences living in other countries, what it's like to uh, integrate there and to meet the people there. It's just a fascinating listen, and it's absolutely worth checking out, and you should do that. Uh, In addition to that, as I mentioned, Alberta Podcast Network. You can listen to us all over the place. Uh, We are being broadcast on G Radio. You can find it at gradio.ca. You can also find our episodes on the CKUA radio app. Uh, You can download that from the Apple App Store. And, of course, you can download us wherever fine podcasts are found. We're everywhere these days. Things are happening. You guys are booming. Yeah. (laughs) Didn't need the snaps. (laughs) Got them anyway. And as a wrap, I guess. <laughs> yeah. As Greg <laughs> we as, don't have a- <laughs> as Greg Beaver would say, keep watching the skies. <laughs>